Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys here today. Man, this is an exciting week, isn't it? We are just four days away from Thanksgiving, and you know what that means? In five days, it's officially legal to listen to Christmas music. It's also legal to put up your tree, legal to watch Christmas movies. Now, I know that some of you do not follow that rule, and I won't mention any names except Jimmy Ranshaw. He was playing some Christmas songs during staff meeting this week. And usually our family is pretty good about this. But for some reason this year, we bent the rule a little bit. But I want to say the Hartleys are back on the wagon now. From now through Thursday, we're going to be in Thanksgiving mode. Because I really think Thanksgiving is such a great idea. Just to take a day and be grateful for all of God's blessings. You know, sometimes it's so easy to focus on all the different ways that life is hard. I know a lot of us are going through some challenging things right now, but I've said this so many times because I need to remind myself as well, we always have so many reasons to be grateful. So let's do that this week. And for now, it's time to get into the sermon. Today, we're wrapping up this three-week series called Treasure. And the big idea of this series comes from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that sounds like a simple statement, but it has a deep meaning. Jesus says, you can choose your treasure. And when you do that, your heart will follow. In other words, you care about what you invest in. Have you ever seen that principle in real life? You probably have. For example, um, let's say somebody gives you a gift. Let's say they give you a chair, a basic wooden chair. Now, on some level, you'll appreciate that gift. You'll, You'll be thankful for it. But now, let's say you find a different chair. Maybe it's an antique, and you spend a lot of money to get that other chair. You're probably going to care about that one a little more. But now, let's say you build a chair by hand. You put a lot of work into it, and you're really happy with how it turns out. You're going to care a lot about that chair. Why? It's because you care about what you invest in. Now, Jesus told us we need to be careful what we treasure. He said, do not store up treasures on earth. It's a bad idea because those things are temporary. Instead, store up heavenly treasure. Invest in those things that last forever. And the good news is we do have a choice here. We can choose to loosen our grip on temporary things and put our focus on eternal things. Early in this series, we made a, a short list of eternal things, things that are worth investing in, things worth sacrificing for. And I want to go back and and remember three items on that list. First, we have God himself. Then we have the kingdom of God. And third, we have people. These are all important things to to be investing in. Because they matter on an eternal level. So here's our goal for this morning. Uh, The goal is for all of us to commit or recommit to invest in eternity. And we're going to be very specific about what that means. We'll come up with some clear action steps. But before we get to those action steps, uh, we're going to read an amazing story from the Bible. I I love this story. 
It's the story of a woman named Mary, not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, a friend of Jesus. And I believe she can inspire us to choose our treasure well. Now, last week, we read about a very rich man who made a very bad choice. Jesus said to this man, you need to make up your mind. You need to choose between your money and your God. And it was a sad thing, but this rich young man, he held on to his wealth and he walked away from Jesus. Now this week, we're going to see the opposite because Mary made Jesus her greatest treasure. She treasured him far above everything else. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to John chapter 12. Now, in this passage, it's the final week before Jesus goes to the cross. In, in just a few days, he's going to die, and obviously this is a stressful time. But at the beginning of this passage here, it's kind of a happy time. <laughs> it, it begins with a dinner party. So let's read it. John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, let's, let's look at a little background here. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all siblings. And if you back up just one chapter, John 11, you can read this dramatic story where Lazarus died, and he was really dead. He was in the tomb for four days, but then Jesus showed up, and he brought Lazarus back to life. And as you can imagine, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were just full of gratitude, they, they wanted to thank Jesus in any way they could. So they invited him and his friends over to dinner. And for Mary, that dinner party was nice, but it wasn't enough. She wanted to express her gratitude to Jesus in a bigger way. So she did something extravagant. She took that jar of very expensive perfumes, probably the most valuable thing she owned, and then she poured the entire jar over Jesus's feet. Then she took her hair and wiped off that perfume, which would have been a scandalous thing. This was an act of devotion, an act of humility, and sacrifice. But one person thought it was an act of foolishness. Let's read on. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, what we see here is really pretty common. Because sometimes we'll, we'll look at other people, see what they spend on certain things, and we're like, man, what are they thinking? I've got a, a couple examples. Um, here's one. Just over a week ago, Saturday of last weekend, a first-class dinner menu from the Titanic uh, went up for auction. 
Now, this menu is dated April 11th, 1912. That's just one day after the Titanic set sail. It's three days before it sank. Now, that menu sold at auction for $102,000. Now, would it be cool to own a menu from the Titanic? Sure. But is it $100,000 worth of cool? I'll let you be the judge of that. I have a couple other examples that are completely bonkers. Several years ago, Justin Timberlake was doing an interview at a radio station. And after the interview, he left behind a half-eaten piece of French toast. The DJ from that station saw an opportunity. So he took that French toast and he put it up on eBay. Someone bought it for $3,154. It was half gone. It wasn't even the whole thing. But wait, there's one more. Uh, Just two years ago, a clump of Elvis Presley's hair, uh, about the size of a baseball, was auctioned and sold for $72,500. If you're like me, you hear that and you're thinking, man, are people crazy? And the answer to that question is yes, they are. (laughs) But for those people, the cost was worth it. They, they considered those objects as treasures. But now let's think about this in the light of eternity. Uh, do those things have any real or lasting value? Is there anything significant about owning a baseball-sized clump of Elvis's hair? Uh, the answer to that question is no. I mean, we've been very clear about this, haven't we? Some things do have real lasting value, but a lot of things don't. They're temporary. They're earthly treasures at best. Now, Judas Iscariot, he was all mixed up on this one. He got bent out of shape because Mary poured that perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, uh, to be fair, that stuff was expensive. Uh, Nard, which is a great word, by the way, nard was extremely rare. Uh, They had to import it from the Himalayas, which would cost a lot even now, much less in in the time of the Bible. So what what Judas said was technically correct. In just a few seconds, Mary poured out a year's wages. That hurts. Many people would agree with Judas. They'd say, yeah, that was impulsive and it was reckless. But let's think about what these two are communicating in that moment. Uh, Through her actions, Mary made a big statement. She said, I will gladly spend a year's wages to express my love for Jesus because he is worth more to me than any amount of money. But then Judas made a very different statement. He said, woman, you wasted that money. And of course, out loud, Judas said they could have sold that perfume and given the money to the poor. But John tells us that wasn't the real reason Judas was upset. He was the financial secretary for Jesus' ministry. And if he had gotten a hold of that money, he could have skimmed some off the top for himself. But for just a second, let's forget about the fact that Judas was a crook and a betrayer. And let's take his words at face value. Let's assume he really believed that they should have used that money for the poor. What do you think? If that's the case, did Judas have a valid point? Did Mary do a foolish thing? I mean, 
they could have used that money to feed a lot of hungry people. They could have used it to start schools or open a medical clinic. I mean, all kinds of things. Well, let's see what Jesus said to Judas. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So according to what uh, Jesus says here, no, what she did was not foolish. It was completely appropriate. In Matthew's version of this story, uh, Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. But why? Why was that beautiful? Well, it goes back to something we've said every week in this series. The greatest treasure in life is knowing Jesus. And when Jesus is truly your greatest treasure, man, you're, you're willing to let go of everything else. But I realize some of us might struggle with this idea. Uh, and I, in a way, I get that. I mean, let's, let's be real here. You can't even see Jesus. We, we haven't been able to see him for about 2,000 years. And how can you give this invisible person the, the number one place in your life? How does that make sense? Well, let's think about Mary for a second. Why did Mary treasure Jesus so much? Well, remember what happened in John chapter 11? Right before this. In John 11, Mary's brother died. He was buried in the tomb. He was gone. But because of Jesus, Mary got her brother back. And that's why later she looked at Jesus and she had this automatic response. She was like, I have to do something to thank him. He needs to know how much I love him, how much I appreciate him. And that's when she poured that perfume over Jesus' feet. Mary treasured Jesus because she personally experienced his love and his transforming power. And until you have had that experience, no, it might not make sense to you. But many of us here, we can relate to Mary, right? Because we can say, Man, before Jesus, I was dead. I had no hope. But after I began this relationship with Jesus, he's changed everything. Now I am forgiven. Now I have the hope of eternal life. And as long as I have Jesus, you can have the rest of this world. When you experience the love and the transforming power of Jesus, he does become your number one priority. But I want to go back to something Jesus said there. I really want to think about this. What did he say to Judas? He said, step back. <laughs> Mary made the right call here. Pouring the perfume on my feet was better than giving the money to the poor. You'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Now, why was that true? Why, why did Jesus need pretty smelling feet? Why, why was that a priority? Didn't Jesus care about poor people? He has this reputation for loving, you know, the, the marginalized people, meeting their needs, helping them. Why not use that money to help? Well, here's the thing. When you give your life to Jesus and you give him your first devotion, he will help you help others. 
It reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You you don't accomplish things of real, lasting importance. So, do you want to be a generous person who helps the poor in a significant way? Give Jesus your devotion first, and then he'll help you help others. Do you want to be a better spouse? Do you want to be a better parent? Give Jesus your devotion first, and then he'll help you with that. And it doesn't do your child any favors to put him or her in front of Jesus. So that's the challenge of this series. Step one, let's realize that Christ is the greatest treasure in life. Step two, we need to give him the first of our time, the first of our talent, and the first of our treasure. And from there, he will use our generosity to make a lasting difference in this world. You know, Mary uh, didn't do what she did out of some sense of duty. Uh, She wasn't reluctant. It wasn't forced. Her generosity was just a response to the generosity of Christ. And that's why she emptied the jar. So what about us? How is Jesus calling us to be generous, to let go of temporary things for the sake of eternal things? Well, you and I don't have the opportunity to pour perfume over Jesus' feet, but we can still follow Mary's example. Uh, Remember that list of eternal things. Uh, When you make Jesus your treasure, he will lead you to invest in each of those areas. And he leads you to be not just generous, but sacrificially generous. Last week, I made a statement toward the end of the sermon. I said, sacrificial generosity brings you joy. You know, when I'm preaching, I am (laughs) pretty careful about what I say and how I say it. And I pray that God will help me communicate His Word clearly and correctly. I mean, I don't want it to be misinterpreted. So sometimes I'll go back and think about what I said the previous Sunday. And this week I thought about that statement. Sacrificial generosity brings you joy. Is that really true? Well, I thought about it and I prayed about it. And yeah, I believe it's true. However, I do feel the need to add a caveat. Here's what I would say. If you try to balance Jesus and earthly treasure, if you try to serve both God and money, that will steal your joy. Sacrificial generosity could fill you with fear because you're afraid you won't have enough. Sacrificial generosity could fill you with resentment because you really don't want to let go. But that's not what God wants for any of us. His plan is that we would have joy. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Okay, a couple of important things here. Why does God love a cheerful giver? 
because he's not interested in your money. Man, God is not impressed with money. Think about Mary. God wasn't impressed with the amount of money that she gave. He's not impressed by money at all. He doesn't want your money because it's all his anyway. What he wants is your heart. That's why Jesus said Mary has done a beautiful thing. Her sacrifice revealed the state of her heart. Her sacrifice proved her love for him. But then don't miss that promise in verse 8. When you give to God, he will bless you. And he'll bless you in all kinds of ways. He'll bless you by meeting your needs. He'll bless you by proving that you can trust him. He'll, he'll bless you by giving the peace that comes from walking by faith. And all of those blessings will give you what? Joy. So today, where is your heart? What do your actions reveal about your treasure? Well, it's time to get specific about how we can invest in eternal things. And let's go through that short list and look at some possible action steps that we might take. First, how can we invest in God himself? Well, the key word we need to remember here is worship. You invest in your relationship with God through worship. And of course, worship is not just a Sunday morning activity. It's a 24-7 way of life. So how do we make this particular investment? Well, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's where you start. Uh, sometimes people assume they're Christians because they came from a Christian family or because they go to church. But that's not what it means to give your life to Jesus. It has to be an act of surrender where you let go of everything else and you put your life in his hands. So do you remember doing that? Can you remember a specific time when you made a clear decision to put your faith in Jesus? Do you remember turning away from your sin and turning toward God? Do you remember saying Jesus is my Lord, my Master. Now, I let Him call the shots in my life. Do you remember being baptized into Christ? Were you buried beneath the water and then raised up to live a new life? If you have no memory of those things, that's where you start. But then after that beginning, worship is expressing your love and devotion to God every single day. And there are lots of ways to do that. For one thing, we can worship God by letting him speak to us through his word. We can also worship by speaking to him through prayer. And yes, we do worship when we come together here on Sunday mornings. That, that's an important thing. Now, if we think about Mary and we think about the sacrifice that she made, what does sacrificial worship look like? Well, we need to be careful because it's easy to turn worship into some legalistic exercise. We can think something along these lines, like, okay, uh, to be a good Christian, I should pray and read my Bible at least 15 minutes a day. And if I don't meet that minimum requirement, I really think God's going to be mad at me. We don't want to go there. Legalism will suck the joy out of worship. On the other hand, though, we sometimes go to the other extreme, and we say something like this, all right, legalism is bad. I don't want to get anywhere near that, so 
I'm not going to keep score. And, and I guess it's probably fine if I hardly ever pray or read the Bible. I guess it's probably fine if I skip church more than I go to church. Now, if you can relate to that kind of mindset, here's my challenge for you. My challenge is to pray over this question. If Jesus is my greatest treasure, does my life reflect that? Over the past few years, there's been a a nationwide trend. A lot of people who do go to church attend less frequently than they used to. So if you went three or four Sundays a month in the past, maybe you'd drop that back to one or two Sundays. So where are you on that? As we look ahead to 2024, I sure don't want you to be legalistic, but do you have a a goal there? How many Sundays do you plan to be at church next year? You know, growing up in our family, the answer was always 52 (laughs) Sundays. And I know that won't be the case for most of us, but do you have a goal? Is it 42 out of 52? 32 out of 52? What level of commitment would indicate that Jesus is your greatest treasure? I won't give you a specific answer, uh, but I'll I'll let you pray about that. I encourage you to pray about that. Now, we could talk about uh, several other action steps related to worship, but let's move on. What does it look like to invest in God's kingdom? Well, first, if you've been at Plum Creek for the last couple of years, uh, you hopefully know the meaning of this phrase, the kingdom of God is any place where his rule and his reign have truly begun. And so where is that? Well, if you've given your life to Jesus, you made God the king of your heart. So he rules and reigns in you. The kingdom of God is in you. We also see the kingdom in every church that is truly surrendered to Jesus. And we know that God wants to partner with his church to expand his kingdom. And that is literally the most important work in the world. And it's what we're about here at Plum Creek. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And this is where we need to invest. You can invest in God's kingdom by taking part in the church's mission, whatever church you happen to be a part of. So what what does that look like specifically here at our church? Well, we talk about these things all the time. You can join God's mission by serving somewhere in ministry. Maybe you help out in kids town or you serve as a greeter or you help with the sharing center. There are lots of ways to get involved, and if you want to jump in, just reach out to any of us ministers, or you can go to our website, plumcreek.org, at the top of the homepage, click Get Involved, then click Serve, and you'll see a whole list of opportunities there. But then uh, another important way to invest in God's kingdom is to give financially to the church. Those funds are used to impact God's kingdom in a powerful way, both here locally and around the world. You know, it's amazing when you think about it. This week I was thinking about this. One day, we will meet people in heaven who found a relationship with Jesus partly because of the generosity of this church. How cool is it that we get to be a part of that? partner with God in the growth of his kingdom. So, once again, remembering Mary's sacrifice, let's pray about our level of commitment. Is God leading you to step in and serve somewhere? Is he calling you to increase your level of giving? 
Followers of Jesus, we're not just generous. We are sacrificially generous. Okay, we have one last item on the list, people. And obviously, there are many, many ways to invest in people. Uh, One way is to just be kind and help someone in need. And that's the purpose of this collection we're doing during the Christmas season. And hopefully you've heard about this. Between now and Sunday, December 10th, um, we're coming together as a church. We're collecting laundry detergent and snack items uh, for families in need. And, and, you know, we always want to make sure that we're meeting actual needs. And our ministry teams have done their homework. This is going to make a big difference for some families in our community. And uh, we have a big goal here, and we appreciate everyone participating in this effort. But I also need to mention another very important way to invest in people. You can invest in people by being intentional with your one. And some of you know what I mean by that, but in case you don't, your one is a person you know who needs Jesus. This is someone in your circle of influence, uh, maybe a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a relative. And in one way or another, God has put this person on your heart. And for most of us, I, we're going to have more than one one. But usually there's a particular individual that rises to the top of your list. You have a burden for this person to come to know Christ. So what does it mean to be intentional with your one? Well, there are several steps to take. First, who is this person? You need to identify your one. Who do you know that needs to begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus? And then once you identify that person, you consistently pray for them. And then you make a connection. You build a closer friendship with no strings attached. And then as God leads, you determine your next step. Maybe he gives you uh, an open door to share your story, the story of how Jesus changed your life. Or maybe you do something as simple as you invite that person to church. Uh, Recently, I heard something uh, really interesting. This statistic uh, said, when someone is invited to church by a friend on a regular Sunday, six out of 10 people say yes. But then if it's a special Sunday, eight out of 10 people say yes to that invitation. And as it so happens, we got a whole stretch of special Sundays between now and the end of the year. Uh, Next week, we have that student takeover. Middle school students, high school students, early college students are going to be up here leading the entire service. December 3rd, that's our Christmas kickoff. We're going to have Kids Town up here singing on stage. December 10th is the packing party for our care packages, this Christmas collection. December 17th is going to be a very special day. We're bringing back that live nativity, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, and a bunch of animals. We'll be back there behind the church. Uh, that That was just an amazing thing last year, so we're doing that again. On December 24th, we're going to have our special Christmas Eve service in the morning. So this is very cool. We have so many opportunities to invite our ones. And in every bulletin this week, there's an invite card. So as you think about who your one is, as you pray for that person, look for a chance to reach out and invite them to join us, you know, through the whole month coming up. 
And I also want to encourage you to pick up some extra invite cards on your way out today. But out of all the ways we can be intentional with our ones, I believe prayer is the most important. Because really only God can change a person's heart. And we're going to share the story of Jesus in a special way over the next few weeks. And we want to pray for lives to be changed by Jesus. And we're going to close our time here right now with prayer. Uh, Our prayer wall is right over here. Uh, Some of you know how this works. Uh, We've got some paper and pens on two tables down front, and and we're just going to take a few moments to to come down, write some names on that paper. Uh, I encourage you to write down at least one of your ones, maybe several. But then... You could also write down the the name of someone who just needs God's help in a special way right now. There are uh, a lot of people in our church family going through difficult things right now. Two weeks ago, I asked you to pray for a teenager named Joey Smith. Uh, Joey Smith um, passed away a couple days ago. So let's... uh, come together as a family and pray for the Smiths. And then there are so many others who need prayer right now, more more than I can mention. And let's lift up those names as well. Now, we did this about a year ago. We wrote down names and put them in the prayer wall. And it was amazing to see how God answered prayers. We've seen a lot of people get baptized over the past year. And I know many of those names were in this wall. Prayer is powerful. We don't change anybody, but God's Holy Spirit can. So let's be a praying church. We're going to take a few moments here. I'll give you some time to come down to the front and pray just while the music's playing in the background. And then we'll uh, worship together. Let's take a few moments and pray right now.